We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Podcast. I'm Chase Parm, and today we're going to be talking with Vincent Hollis. He's the CEO of the Ole Miss Athletics Foundation. He uh, got his career started at Ole Miss in fundraising in different ways. Now moved over to athletics here recently, and the uh, the head job replacing Fowler Staines, who left the university a few months ago. So Vincent, he's uh, he's got a lot of Ole Miss family history. He's been at the university for a long time, and he's uh, he's the head of the foundation for raising money. We talked a good bit today about um, the capital campaign, about the different facility things going on on campus, and just what it's like to sort of ask people for money for a living, some of those type of things as well. So, uh, Vincent Hollis, to give you a good idea about major gifts, about the foundation, and educate you on, uh, on him and just some of the different projects going on with the university at large right now. So, let's get into it. Here is myself with Ole Miss CEO of the Athletic Foundation, Vincent Hollis. Chase Parham here with Denson Hollis, CEO, Ole Miss Athletics Foundation. Denson, we were making a couple of jokes a minute ago. This was uh, Andy Kennedy's office back in the day. You know, he, he used to always tell the story about uh, he'd start coughing and he was making jokes when we'd have media ops. He'd go, sorry, asbestos. And he'd always make the Tad Smith Coliseum jokes. So I hope we're okay here. I think we're probably uh, safe from any type of infection or anything because uh, I have not been in Tad Smith. I guess it's I talked to Keith here like three years ago or something. What all is being used for this building now at this point? So TADPAD is really used mostly for storage for the university, but uh, the OMAP offices are here in the back. And uh, you may hear some background noise a little while. We do have some squirrels that get in the walls every once in a while. So uh, if there's some scratching going on, that's our friends, the squirrels. So you're new to this job, only a few months as far as this, this top post. You've been in athletics for a little while. You, you were with academics for a really long time. Either way, it's a it's it's something where I know the similarities and the general sense are the same. You're raising money, you're doing things to help fund the university in whatever capacity that you're doing that. But what have you seen, or what was appealing to you about the athletic side when you moved over? Yeah, so I got into fundraising originally because I wanted to be in athletics, and I applied for jobs at Ole Miss for about eight years and was never able to get in on the athletic side. I was hired back in 2009 to raise uh, scholarship money for Ole Miss First and Ole Miss Women's Council. And I thought I would do that for a couple of years, move over to athletics, but ended up staying there for 12 years. And then in September 2020, I moved over to athletics to lead the major gift team under Fowler Staines. And so I think 
one of the main things that drew me to that was one, it's one of the, my biggest passions in my life is Ole Miss athletics. I really wanted to tie my personal passion into my professional career. But on the fundraising side, the biggest differences to me are one, the visibility of athletics is the front porch to the whole university. And it's what brings everyone back to our campus. But also the speed of the fundraising conversation is so much quicker on the athletic side. We're able to move the needle a lot faster when we're meeting with our donors, just because our projects are very visible. The speed of the projects going up is very obvious, but then the conversations are um, a little bit quicker as well too, because it's, you know, we ride the, the up and down of winning and losing it right now. We're winning and all our sports are doing really well. And um, everyone's behind Keith and our coaches. So it's a really exciting time to raise money. That's why we're having so much success fundraising. Yeah, that's what I was going to say is, I mean, it's, it's somewhat tied to what we do. I mean, obviously our business is better when Ole Miss wins versus not. And the conversation sort of changes depending on how much, how much Ole Miss wins or what that looks like. From the fundraising side, when you're going into these rooms, I mean, how much easier is it when, you, when they're winning? How does the conversation change? I mean, what are you, you know, when you go in somewhere, obviously you've got background individual persons. Maybe this is a bad question as far as that. But in a general sense, what are those two conversations if the team is winning or losing when you're walking into a room? Yeah, I say when we're when we're meeting with donors, you know, compared to the sales world, we don't really have any cold calls. All of our meetings are usually pretty warm. Some are really happy. Some are really upset. Uh, obviously, when you're winning, everyone's very happy and excited about the future. So that really ramps up the speed of our fundraising conversation. Um, you know, it's pretty often that we go and meet with people on our first visit and they join the Ball Society or make a gift to athletics. But uh, I definitely say that the mood of the meeting is a lot better when we're winning and, you know, all of our sports are winning right now. So it's, uh, we're having a lot of great success. Do you have stock? Did you have stock answers when you go in somewhere and they go, they ought to fire that Mike Bianco or they ought to do all this stuff. Cause obviously you're not gonna be negative toward the university. I mean, how, how did, how do you handle that when you run into a, a donor or a booster who's frustrated by a sport as it's going on? Yeah. We just talk about the overall mission of the department and all of our sports collectively. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, it stop, it starts at the top with Keith and his leadership and, you know, I'm 42 years old and I feel like in this point at Ole Miss athletics, our fan base has never been this unified behind our athletic department and our coaches. So we, um, you know, we, we hear the concerns of uh, our donors and we listen to them I think that's what they mainly want to hear is they want someone that they can vent to and we listen to them. And then if there's a solution that we can provide, we find that. But really, we just listen and move the conversation forward. And eventually, um, if now is not the right time to make a gift, maybe we'll stall that conversation until later. But eventually, we'll circle back and ask them to support us. People know what you're coming for. They know what the the mission is of the the foundation when you're talking to them. But just in general, you know, asking people for money or asking for things is just is from a human nature standpoint a very hard thing to do. I mean, I mm -hmm. have struggled with it at different points of having to get into some level of sales with my job. And as we got into the podcast, were you simply looking for university entry points going in, or was there something about foundation or fundraising or different things like that that appealed to you when you first got started? So I think the, the the original question about asking people for money, um, I don't view it as hard at all, really, because it really, if you have the relationship developed, you really, it really just becomes a conversation. Mm -hmm. You know, it's very rarely that we go in with like a physical proposal to ask someone. And it does happen from time to time, but usually you're over a course of a bunch of meetings, you're having these conversations and you're talking about projects and you're talking about, you know, kind of what amounts they're thinking about. 
And then eventually it just becomes kind of this organic thing where, okay, we have the Manning Center project. I like to name a meeting room. Here's what that naming opportunity is. And then that's how you get to those big amounts. But I think one of the things I learned early in fundraising, and it stuck with me to this day, is it's very important to take your personal values off of other people's money. So for example, if I'm going to go in and ask somebody for $10 million, to me, I'm that's a lot of money. That's, you know, not a number that I'm familiar with in my personal life, but to some people, that's not a lot of money. So when you go in that meeting thinking, Hey, I'm going to ask them for this amount to me, that's a whole lot, but to them, it may not be a much and 10 million may not be the right example. Say it's 500,000. Um, I take my values off of that number and ask them for that because that getting rid of or uh, parting with that much money them is not as big a deal for them as is for us, the fundraisers. So, um, it really goes back to developing the relationship, um, being a good steward of the money they've given previously, but then also finding the right ways to connect with them in the right projects and combining the amount that they're comfortable giving, the project that we have going, and you know, the gift as a result of that. Do you figure out over time with donors who are, you know, multiple time givers and people who are consistent with the university? I mean, do you also sort of figure out you know, what personalities maybe mesh with them, different people mm-hmm. in your department. I mean, is there also sort of a scheme of making sure that the, that the right people were fit with the right people? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, it's definitely not plug and play. Yeah. You know, I have really great relationships with the people I work with. And if I left, it's not automatic that someone's just going to come fill that relationship. So that absolutely plays a role into it. The way our office is broken down, our major gift team is different from the academic side where you fundraise for the school. So the business school has a fundraiser or liberal arts has a fundraiser, you know, athletics, we don't fundraise for sports specific. So we have geographical territories. So in our big cities like Nashville and Dallas and Houston and Atlanta, we may have a couple of fundraisers, but then we may have one that covers the West coast or the Northeast or the Midwest. But we really penetrate those areas as much as we can based off the previous giving or referrals from other people. And we find new donors all the time. Our donor base while heavily worked is still untapped in a lot of places. So we felt did expand that. I mean, what is the, how, how do you even go about that as far as extending that, that donor base over time? There's a bunch of different ways. One is referrals from other donors. Uh, two is just getting out and going into those places. You know, when I started at Ole Miss in 2009, just from being around the university, I felt like we really focused on the same areas all the time and maybe even the same people. And I knew that we had donors all over the country and the West Coast and Northeast or wherever it is. But some of the biggest gift I've closed for Ole Miss are Tulsa, Oklahoma, Shepherd, Montana, Denver, Colorado, San Diego. So really it starts with going to those places and seeing people. And then from there you spider web out and, Maybe the next time you go, you meet with 10 people instead of five. But really, it's it's really a combination of a lot of things. Working the people that you already know and finding out other people is one way. But then the other, you just sometimes you just randomly fall into one. We found a big donor last year on the tarmac at an airport in Monterey, California, when we were taking off. Um, our pilot said, Hey, that guy was an old missile on. I said, Did you know to get his name? He said, I didn't. So we take off. Uh, like you know, the guy he was on the plane with him before the plane that took off in front yeah. of us. Okay. And um, <laughs> so we get up in the airplane, I get online, I email our research department. And the only thing we knew was um, the year he graduated in the city he lives in. 
So I sent our research department to say, can you find graduates in this city and this year graduate? This is all happening in the air. She sends me three names back. I get up and walk up to the cockpit and show them three LinkedIn profiles. First one, not him. Second one, not him. Third one, that's him. So I go back to my chair. I start reading. This guy started a public company. The first Google hit said he had $200 million in company stock. By the time we landed in Oxford, I'd exchanged four emails with him. Just been busy building his company, hasn't gotten back. Uh, we've brought him back to games. We've brought him back, got him involved with different people on campus. And in that 12 months since we've met, he's already made a major gift to our Champions Now campaign and feel very confident he'll do more in the future. So perfect example, big business guy, super successful, got busy building his company and just hasn't been engaged, but now he is. And and, and I guess that's the question, because I would assume some of the listeners go somebody with that level of success, again, fairly new maybe to them. But, you know, I don't want to say fall to the cracks because you've got a huge base and you're mm-hmm. contacting different things. But, you know, what, what sort of is that process or what are the safeguards to try to talk to or contact as many of those people as possible where they don't fall through the cracks more than that? Well, we have – we have six major gift fundraisers here in athletics at the Ole Miss Athletics Foundation, myself included. And we have, you know, probably 110 to 20,000 alumni. So just based off your numbers, numbers, it's going to be really hard. Uh, We try to really work the ones hard that we know about. We try to work hard to find the new ones. Um, We have a, a CRM that we use for our, our data collection on our donor base that can show us things like wealth ratings and, um, neighborhoods they live in think what we call wealth indicators that kind of give us a, Hey, sure. this is someone you should look at. And then the research department on campus also um, does proactive research to help find us new donors or new parents, you know, non-alum parents who have children here that are interested in supporting the university. And we've had a lot of success with that. Um, so there's, your question is a little bit challenging, but it's, there's not an exact science. It's just you have to work really hard with the people you know and then be creative and find the new ones. And then make sure you have updates anytime they change or different or contacts That's or right. like that to, yeah. to that level. A lot of everybody's skin a cat. You have major gifts or just foundation members or, or, or donation employees who have come from other places who simply are good with people and different things. But how do you sort of feel like you're, you mentioned Ole Miss background, passion, mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff. How do you think that helps and plays into what you do? And to me personally, yes, uh, I think it helps a lot. You know, I have a pretty extensive almost background. I, I grew up in Clarksdale, and my dad played football here. Um, a third generation Ole Miss alum, and many, many members of my family went here, including my wife. Um, so it really helps because I can meet generationally with people that I have a family connection to, from people in their 90s to people in their 20s and 30s. Um, so it really does help because I can also get in to see people pretty easily because I either know that person or know people that know them, but it's not imperative. Mm-hmm. Some of our major gift fundraisers are here in less than a year and they're already having tremendous success. So I think it's really important to have a good mix of Ole Miss background and what we kind of call industry background. Um, because the one thing about athletics that has been really out of me to me the people that want to work in athletics are laser focused on their careers. They want to be athletic directors. They want to be leaders in the department. So they've done the schooling. They've got their master's. They've done the internship. And they're just they're looking around the country and they're looking for jobs that help them move up their career. Um, the, the OMAF brand in the United States is unbelievably strong. We have leaders all over college athletics that have come through this building 
including four uh, ADs um, that have worked at Ole Miss. Yeah, sure. And then you know, the head of major gifts at Syracuse, the head of major gifts at TCU, and then NC State. There's places, people all over the place. Um, but I think it takes a good mix for us to have almost background and some industry people. But for me personally, the almost background has been invaluable just because my familiarity with the place and my own experience here. What is sort of the the status of the the athletic capital campaign right now? So we're it's a hundred seventy five million dollar campaign that will touch football, baseball, soccer, softball, and golf. We just went over forty four million. So we're at 25% already. The campaign will end in FY27. Okay. Uh, the Manning Center will end in July 2023. And then the next project up will be softball and then we'll go from there. But it's great. The Manning Center project is going very well. Our fundraising team is doing an incredible job. Last year, FY22, we raised $31.9 million, which was a record for OMAF ever, the highest year ever. The year before that, we did $24 million, which was the third highest year ever. Uh, and so we're, we're just over four million already for this fiscal year. But the real encouraging thing is that we've had we've had one transformational gift in that 44. But we've got a lot of transformational ask out there in the five million plus. Uh, is that is that a firm definition of what that means? I mean, it varies from school to school. OK, uh, but, you know, we're. Our donor base doesn't have a, a big number of the mega, mega wealthy donors. And we have a big donor base that's full of very very big donors, but, um, you know, we're not the same as Texas as far as the sheer number of donors, but, um, the campaign is going great. We feel very confident about where we are. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. 
No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Do you have projections when you start this thing and we want to be by this number, by this this time? I mean, how does it sort of map out on what you would have thought going into to, to this endeavor? Because you guys launched this at the time, to be honest. I mean, you, you had your COVID, you had potentially whatever was going on with just the economy and different things in general. I mean, it was a pretty challenging time yeah. to put together that that level of capital campaign as a, as a hope out there. Yeah, the, the 175 numbers based off of where we think we can do annually um, and where we are currently. So um, the 31.9 last year was a record, and um, I'm not sure if we can do that every year. I think we can. But um, the number 175 is built off a little bit more conservative that on the annual basis. But we do project that, and we build those annual goals off of what our fundraisers tell us they think they can close that year. So we sit down with each fundraiser and they say, I think this year I can close X. And then we go through each fundraiser and we add that up. That's just on the major gift side. Right. But the major gift side is the part for the campaign. You talked a lot about major gifts, but for somebody who is trying to start out, maybe the little younger donor just wants mm-hmm. to get involved in those type of things. What are sort of the best programs processes for, for that to begin for somebody who doesn't have that, that level of donation available right now? Yeah. So, I mean, season tickets is huge for us. And some of those tickets have an annual fund piece to it, which goes into it. Um, Our annual fund team under Wesley Owen does a tremendous job and uh, they really are the ones that go out there and sell our season tickets that have the annual fund piece to it. But there's also different things that we do like pledge per win in baseball. Um, I can't remember the number last year. Uh, I want to say it was around a hundred thousand that came in where you can pledge any dollar amount per win. And so that's an annual fund fundraising platform where um, say a donor pledges $5 per win. And every time the baseball team wins or base football or basketball or whatever the sport is, then that adds up over the year. So someone that's just getting started out, you know, the baseball team wins 40 games, 40 times five is, you know, $200. Um, which is what we use in the future for major gift because those are our pipeline for our major gift donors. You start off in the annual fund, giving what you can, and you build up and you build up, and eventually they're a point where they can make major gifts, which we take uh, classify as twenty five thousand and above. So that's the entry level for the Vault Society. You mentioned the different things going on with the campaign. You know, Manning Center completely on schedule, everything fine for for next summer. And that I know softball is a priority. They've kind of shifted where that's going, but it looks like they have at least a plan in place to to, to get that going now. Um, and then bought Hemingway on hold with it being on hold, does that change priority or how you guys go about funding the rest of the campaign from that point? No, because the, the campaign number reflects the five projects I mentioned, okay. baseball, football, softball, soccer, and golf. Oh, okay. That was, so those, those projects build up for that number. Um, so no, the, the stadium being on hold doesn't affect, it affects what we did announce originally when it was a $350 million campaign. Included so that has been taken out for the number right. of viewers. So now it went from 350 to 175 and that removed the West side piece from that. I know everything's football as far as most universities, especially in the SEC. That's what dictates demeanor and attitude and how excited a fan base is. But what level of impact did you see just from baseball doing what they did in, over the course of the summer? I mean, it was amazing. I mean, it, first of all, I extended our athletic season you know, through almost the end of June. 
Um, but just from a personal standpoint and a professional standpoint, being in the stadium in Omaha and seeing the number of fans that we had just reiterated to me how big time all this athletics can be. Um, I mean, I was looking at the, the Oklahoma section and our section, mm -hmm. and they're coming into the conference. And here we are with everybody kept saying 80, 20. I don't know what they were counting. That was, was more, more like 90, 97 to three. I think they had like 700 fans. They um, did not sell their allotment of 700 per game too. I mean, that was, I mean, that right there shows you the passion of our donor base. We have, I'll never forget. I was living in Nashville and I was at dinner with a guy and he said he went to Georgetown and he was dead serious. I could tell. He said, I don't know what it is about Ole Miss people, but they just seem to love their university more than other people. And I've always thought that. And I don't know what the reason for that is, but I just think when Ole Miss is on a stage like College World Series or the Sugar Bowl this year, it's amazing the number of fans that come. I mean, we have, to me, I think we have some of the best fans in the country, especially our Red fans. Um, we took over Omaha and won the national championship, and I think it just really shows you the passion of our fan base. And then, obviously, the last few years, Lane, it's only taken two years to get to the stature. I mean, as, the, as we're recording this, and probably when you guys are hearing it, based off when I'm running it, I mean, Ole Miss is 15-3 in their last 18 football games. That's – I would definitely assume, unless I'm forgetting something, the best record since fall, and I feel pretty certain that's the, that, that's the case. You are noticing – attitude changes, people will be more willing to meet, give, those type of things simply off the level of success that's coming right now all the way around. Yeah, and I think it goes back to all of our sports. Yeah. I mean, our fans are just as excited about soccer as they are about football as they are about baseball. Yeah, I mean, it. our conversations are incredibly positive. We go in and we meet with donors and we talk to season ticket holders, and they're just excited. I mean, I was somewhere with Keith the other day, and a Donor pulled into the side and just said, just want to thank Ole Miss is on a roll. Thank you for everything that's going on. You know, we're at a place we've never been before. And I couldn't agree more as a fan and as someone that works here um, because it hasn't always been that positive. Yeah. And um, <laughs> it, it's just it's incredible. Like we people will still get upset about stuff, but it's not that that constant theme. It's really a very, very positive theme, but there's always going to be issues that pop up. But, yeah, everyone's very excited and unified, in my opinion. You're obviously years left on this capital campaign. I know that's the focus. But just in general, I mean, what's sort of the plan beyond that? What's kind of next? What's in your head for maybe what the, the next level for this this is? Well, I mean, so right now I've just been focused on my new position and working sure. on the, the Ole Miss Athletics Foundation, which didn't really need a lot of fixing. I mean, I'm following – great leadership from Fowler Staines and Keith Carter and Danny White before that. So uh, at the OMAF level, it's just building our staff. We're two positions away from being fully staffed at 22. Uh, and I've, I've put the, the foundation into kind of four buckets, major gifts, annual fund, finance, and operations. We have a great staff across the board that's doing a great job. So for us, it's getting fully staffed and um, building out for the future. Um, but beyond the campaign, I'm not sure as far as like mm -hmm. projects and things of that nature. I've, I feel confident that um, the landscape is changing in college athletics. So it'll be interesting to see. What was your transition as far as, I mean, obviously you knew a lot of people, you know, a lot of people, but just 
going from the university side to the athletic side and meeting everybody you needed to meet, getting to know the structure of that. I mean, how, how long does that sort of take just to get comfortable with all the, the people and the personalities and the, everything that you should be knowing for this, uh, not necessarily this job, but athletics as a whole? Yeah. Um, it was weird. It was, it was very quick in some ways and very slow in some ways. The One of the most immediate things that was apparent to me is that the fundraising conversations in athletics move so much right. quicker. Um, it's just the conversations are happening as teams are playing and teams are winning. And, you know, the team, the baseball team wins the world series. We're having conversations about that conversations that install, they're speeding up. So it just the speed is, is really, really um, obvious donor wise. It, it really wasn't a big change for me because athletics is usually always a piece of every conversation. Um, maybe not every, but 90% at some point it comes up. Um, but it, it took me a little while just to figure out all the pieces of the department, everything that goes into making an athletics department department successful. Um, it's a huge enterprise and takes a lot of people doing a lot of great job. I'm fortunate enough to work with a lot of great people at Ole Miss Athletics. You mentioned the speed of it a couple of times. Is that partly because of how visible it is? I mean, do you think it's because obviously not, not to say that the university side people aren't passionate about the programs, different things, but because of athletics does carry such emotion and it's right there on your TV and you're seeing it compared to Texas and Oklahoma and Alabama and Georgia. I mean, is that what, what increases the speed of a lot of these conversations? Just that it is very obvious when there are needs compared to, to member institutions you're competing against. Yeah, I think absolutely. I mean, an example of that would be the gates outside the football stadium. I mean, you see them when you walk to the game and you can see when there's a gate that's not named yet. So people, will say, hey, how much is it to name a gate? Is that one available? And they want their certain gate. Yeah. So yeah, I think that. And then our donors are on the on our campus all the time for our events. So you you don't, I mean you still travel and go out and see people, but when you think about all the things that we have going on on our campus athletically with football, basketball, baseball, soccer, softball, I mean all of our sports, the donors are here a lot. And there's, there's things at our disposal that we can use to help that conversation, whether it's parking passes or things of that nature where maybe we can take them to a facility or um, take them on the field before a game. There's just kind of a lot of those really exciting, visible things that can help us move the conversation faster. How many days are you out of town on a normal month? Well, I haven't traveled much at all the last two months. I think my average – Kind of over the last 14 years, I try to be gone five or six nights a month. Oh, okay. So I, I I created a system for myself that that I would let, always leave on the 6 a.m. flights on Tuesday and come back Thursday afternoon. I do that a couple times a month. Um, but I love traveling. I love being on the road. I love seeing people. The conversations with donors are, to me, they're much more meaningful when you're on their turf you made the effort to get on a plane and fly to Scottsdale or Chicago or, or driving down the road to Clarksdale. Mm-hmm. Um, this is where they're comfortable. Um, so you're making them a priority. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And I think that when somebody says like, what's, what makes fundraisers successful? There's a lot of things, but one is just getting out and going to see people and the major gift team here does a great job. They're going all the time. And, um, you know, our donors are real receptive to seeing them. So get involved, check the status of this thing, just in that standpoint, where do people go? What do they do? What's, uh, what's, what's, what's the pipeline of that? Yeah. So our campaign website is championsnowolmiss.com and there's, uh, has videos and pictures of all of our projects and, uh, 
get look check out our website at givetoathletics.com. Our fundraisers and annual fund staff are on there. Make sure you familiarize yourself with each of them because uh, they're the people that can help with questions. And then uh, a couple of quick reminders for this weekend. I want to remind everybody with the early kickoff to get to the game early, print your or download your tickets yeah. and parking passes early before you get to the stadium. Uh, it's going to be a huge weekend. I'm sure we're real excited about it. What, one last thing. I'm just kind of curious about this. You have the you know, Forever campaign going on the university side right now. Are there – Except if we're expanding, but there is a, a finite amount of donors. Is, is there extra challenges when those two are going on into such high levels at the same time on the athletic side versus the university side on, on, on mingling that together? Yeah, you know, that was my previous job before right. I came over here. I, what we call the principal gifts program, which in my job was to create collaboration between athletics, the medical center and the campus and the alumni association. Um to make sure that those groups are talking about a donor so we're not all tripping all over ourselves. So Nikki Neely Davis is in charge of that program now on our campus and does a tremendous job. Uh, we've worked together for a long time. And so, no, it, it helps, you know, the Champions Now campaign is a piece of the, the university campaign, but we talk to, we have a great relationship with the university development office and we talk about our donors a lot so we can make sure that we're up to speed on where they are and, um, you know, sometimes athletics moves quicker in that regard, and sometimes they may be farther ahead. But we also share donors' names, too, because a lot of times donors have multiple interests. The person that I referenced that we found on the um, at the airport in Monterey, California, is interested in athletics and the county school. Okay. So we want to make sure we connect them to Jason McCormick that raises money for the county school, and they're in a campaign for their new building. And um, so it all, we all help each other. We all work for the same place. Which had different mission. So she said that will help to download tickets this weekend. You will get in a little quicker. It will not be bogged down, and uh, as opposed to a lot of you guys not doing that. So take advantage of that if you can. And uh, appreciate the time today. Yeah, thanks, Chase. Appreciate you having me on. The headlines remind us daily: the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine. Stop noticing, but you know better, and your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over 3 million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour three-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not ready our foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com.